I'm your host, Wendy Nunnery. And if you're new here to the show, this is a podcast all about living and learning to thrive with obsessive compulsive disorder. You don't have to have OCD to listen and enjoy. Maybe somebody that you know has it, or you struggle with anxiety yourself. Like there's a little bit here for everybody to learn something. So thank you so much for being here and taking time out of your day to join us on the show. Today, I'm going to be doing an exclusive reading from my book, which just came out last Tuesday, Good Enough, Learning to Let Go of Perfect for the Sake of Holy. A lot of the things that I talk about here on the show, I do from a faith perspective. So my mental illness is something that I believe is biological, physical, mental, as well as spiritual. So I approach it from that way. And you'll hear that in this episode when you listen to this chapter where I talk about a specific struggle that I had with OCD a few years back. So with that in mind, I hope that you'll continue to listen. Thank you so much for being here. Let's get started. Chapter 13, A Place to Hide. For a little over a year, my OCD was quiet. It still hovered in the background, but I had grown used to its presence. In late 2012, I had just finished wrapping up the busiest few months I could remember. A short season in which we bought our first house, I took my first novel to a big, intimidating writer's conference, and just before the holidays, I completed the most difficult course of my graduate degree. Two weeks before Christmas, as we were beginning to relax into the wonder of the season, I got laid off from my job. This was not terrible news. The income would be missed, but not the job. I was more than ready to move on from that toxic environment. For a few weeks, I puttered about our house in my pajamas and read Gone Girl. I discovered the delight of Downton Abbey and locked myself in the office to binge watch the first three seasons. I considered monetizing my blog and trying to make that a thing, but I had few followers and even less direction. I wanted to write, but about what? I wanted to work for myself, but how? As all these questions swirled, I sunk deeper into a restless state of uncertainty. I was all alone every day, all day, with the exception of Lord and Lady Grantham, obviously, and my mind was working overtime in an attempt to forge the path ahead. One of the guys in our small group did casting for the Vampire Diaries, which used to be shot around Atlanta, and I worked as an extra on set a couple of times. Catch me in the background of season four, episode 18. I'm chilling at a table behind Nina Dobrev in the restaurant scene. My daughter Lucy was there too. I just didn't know it yet. One quiet winter afternoon in January, I sat writing at my desk when an intrusive thought about our neighbor rammed through my brain like a bullet. What if I walk over there right now and stab someone? You're the only one here. No one can stop you from doing something terrible. Maybe you already have. What makes thoughts like these so hard to work through is that they feel authentic. Not just like they could happen, but that somehow, without our knowing, they have. Anyone with an anxiety disorder can tell you this. Intrusive thoughts for someone with OCD have the same physical effects on the body as if you were in real danger, and your hyperactive fight-or-flight mode can't tell the difference. You sweat and you pace. Chills and hot flashes run up and down your spine until you grow nauseated and have to sit down. But you can't sit down because you need to pace. You need to crawl out of your skin and get away from this nightmare, or you're going to die. I jumped out of my seat like someone had poked me with a firebrand, and I howled in agony. No, 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 I repeated to myself as I raced to our bedroom. For what, I don't know. Solace, maybe, or comfort. I crawled onto the bed and put my hands over my ears. 
the thought so loud at this point, I felt sure I could drown it out somehow. But it was not coming from some external source, at least not one that was visible. It was coming from my own mind. And as I had so many times before, I could not convince myself it had no meaning. How could such a terrible, violent thought mean nothing? Doesn't scripture tell us, as a person thinks in his heart, so is he? And hadn't these thoughts permeated my heart, filling me up with cruel self-criticism and the conviction that I was lost? Why would I think them if they weren't true? The brain is a minefield. I can tiptoe around terrible news stories on Twitter and avoid violent content in movies and books, but I cannot always help what headlines happen to pop up on my news feed. Avoid what trauma is mentioned in a conversation, or stick my head in the sand and never have to confront the awful realities that loom large in our world. I am here, present for such a time as this, and I have to learn to live with the landmines and trust that the skills I've learned in therapy and the graciousness of God will see me through the momentary panic of an intrusive thought. If you're at all like me, this is what trips us up most when it comes to how we think. We believe that the presence of a thought always has inherent meaning when often it has no meaning at all. When scripture tells us that what we think is who we are, the point is not concerning what random thoughts enter our minds, but what thoughts we choose to hold on to, what thoughts we give space, what thoughts we choose to let define us. For those of us who are privileged to have decent health care and community support, we have much more control than we think we do. Our Father has given us free will. And with that comes the opportunity to do hard work, work that requires a lot of help and training and confrontation of difficult beliefs. It is not work we can do alone. It grieves me to think about the people who do not have this kind of community when their thoughts become too burdensome to bear. I have so many resources available to me in the form of health care and a generous group of loved ones. And even in my case, OCD has been the most painful and life-threatening circumstance I've faced. I cannot imagine the terror of facing it by myself. Mental health is a tender issue because it causes unnecessary and unjust shame for those who suffer with a chronic condition. This stems from the culture we live in, but it also comes from something deep within, from the sinful nature that lives alongside our inherent goodness as children of God. We are marked by a fallen world, and our enemy knows when we're vulnerable and frightened. He knows that shame perpetuates isolation, and isolation perpetuates harm. We hide out because we fear what will happen if we're fully known by those around us, and this leaves our hearts in a dark and fearful place. In the documentary film The Heart of Man, which retells the parable of the prodigal son using real-life testimonials from Christians and artistic interpretation of the story, we see a man in intimate relationship with God, where together they enjoy all the natural beauty of the world. At some point, The man looks out across the sea to an island that beckons him, an island that represents the places we're tempted to go in this life that promise us fulfillment, but will never deliver on that promise. God is playing a violin, and as the man steps closer and closer to the cliff edge, God plays faster and faster, the melody a desperate refrain from a father to a son. The man jumps into the water and the violin is destroyed, the music that played the soundtrack of their relationship gone. But not forever. As God has always done, he goes after his son. God finds him chained inside a dark cave where he's been tortured by the manifestation of his sin and pain. The man thinks he's alone, and then God lights a lamp, and we, the audience, 
See, the cave has been filled with other people all along, people the man could not see or hear. Every last one of them is then rescued down the path that God had cut through the dense forest long before the man ever stepped foot off the cliff. It is a film like no other, a gutsy, raw interpretation of the everlasting love we were created with and saved by. I cannot sit through it without tears flowing. It is visceral in its main point, that whether we are chained to a hurtful place by our own sin or by the nature of the world, we are never, ever alone. Isolation is a lie, and the chains are already unlocked. There is always someone who's been where we are, who is where we are right now. There is always someone who has walked the path before us and marked a way through the pain to healing and restoration. There is community, and there is God, and we don't have to suffer as though we are trapped inside this dark place with no hope of rescue. The rescue was planned long ago. From January 2013 until May of that same year, I could not stay at home at my house without another present with me. I didn't have a full-time job anymore, so I was working freelance on resumes and small writing projects to try to supplement Pierce's regular income. I would leave the house each morning with my husband and not return until Pierce came home. I drove all over the city. I tried to escape my brain, but it's a funny thing about brains. They tend to stay with you. I worked in coffee shops and sat in parking lots reading in my car and wrote in corners of Barnes & Noble where I could be surrounded by the books that gave me comfort. If I had to come home by myself for any reason, I would record a video on my phone as I walked through the house so that I could go back later to reassure myself that nothing bad had happened. This is called reassurance seeking, and it's a common compulsion for people with OCD. We do not trust our brains, and so we do not trust ourselves. In certain circumstances, whichever situations tend to trigger our obsessions, we fear that left alone we will lose all control of our faculties and suddenly act out the thoughts that are torturing us against our will. The natural response is to do something that will allow us to prove the thoughts are wrong, but this only tells our brains to work harder at convincing us there's a threat that needs to be addressed. The threat is nonsense, and we know it. But without help, we're left with the monumental task of trying to tame the beast ourselves. Sometimes, rarely, this can be done. I've done it, but it's a hell of a lot harder alone, and it took weeks, months, and even years longer than it might have if I had known to seek help. These days, I can look at my intrusive thoughts more objectively and say, Ugh, there's my OCD, even when the anxiety spikes and I feel the need to act out a compulsion. But it's a skill I've had to hone for almost a decade, and still there are seasons when the safety of a compulsion wins my favor over the laborious mental work of sitting with the anxiety until it passes. I hate OCD. It's manipulative, and it bullies me to no end if I'm in a tender place. God has heard quite a few colorful phrases from me over the years as I've begged and pleaded for him to remove this thorn from my side. He hasn't chosen to answer my prayers, but he has provided healing. It's a healing that continues, ebbing and flowing, but it is healing regardless. The very thing that torments me is the offering plate where I've learned to lay down my ego and misconceptions about what rule following has earned me and watch as God takes up my meager donation and uses it for something other than my own personal gain, something richer and far more eternal. A hiding place that does not invite me in to cower from fear and shame, but to rest in peace and comfort while the storm rages within my mind and heart. A place where God is unafraid to find and sit with me as he does for all his children until we can return once more to the safety of his shore.
for this episode of the So OCD podcast. Thank you again for joining me this week. In our next episode, I'm going to continue with part two of subtypes of OCD. So if you have anything that you'd like me to cover, you can send me a DM on Instagram or Twitter. I am at Wendy Nunnery. That's Wendy with an I at the end. You can find me there. I'm really active. If you're interested in purchasing a copy of Good Enough, I'm going to have links to that in the show notes below. You can find the books sold wherever you buy your books. And I would love for you to grab a copy, read it, and also put up a review because those are super helpful. So that being said, I hope to hear from you guys soon. Thank you again for giving me some of your time today. And I'll see you next time on another episode of the So OCD podcast. Have a good one. Thank you.